Hello, everyone. It's me, DM Nathan, and welcome to another episode of Reckless A Talk, our interview show where we sit down with some of the coolest, neatest, and kindest folks in the tabletop role-playing world to learn a little bit more about who and why they are. This week, I am thrilled to introduce Katie Osaurus, a.k.a. Kate Osborne. Introduce maybe isn't the right word for that, as she is extremely popular on the internet, but you get what I mean. Uh, Kate is a mental health advocate advocate, certified sex educator, TTRPG influencer, and full-time content creator. They first struck internet fame talking about their experience with ADHD during the COVID pandemic on TikTok, but has grown their following on the platform to nearly 1.6 million folks and counting. Now she stars on podcasts, streams, web series, you name it, all while being a beacon of positivity and kindness and creativity and unabashed nerdery. Uh, talking to Kate was an incredible treat, and I think you guys are going to absolutely adore this episode. Special note, there is some sensitive content around the 50-minute mark with some specific details in the episode description. We thought it was important to show some of the uglier parts of being popular on the internet, so opted to leave it in, but please take care of yourselves. With that, I'll leave you to it. Enjoy this episode with Kate, and I will see you on Tuesday for Reckless Attack. Hi, Katie. Hello. How, how are you doing today? Well... I do have COVID, but <laughs> I also have positivity and golden gramps, so I'm okay. I don't think that there is a cure for COVID per se, but hopefully that is at least some degree of balm against yeah. your light respiratory distress. Yes. Or heavy, I'm not sure. This, it's like, I would say like it's moderate, like going up the stairs is kind of rough, but just like sitting around is, is it's all right. <laughs> it is you are you are podcast able not necessarily stare able at the yes moment. that's that's basically it i did get out of bed for this so no well <laughs> i i for one speaking on behalf of the entire reckless attack podcast appreciate your commitment and sacrifice i honestly knew that if i rescheduled it would just never happen because that's how my <laughs> life works and so i was like no we we do this we we pout but honestly i feel okay i have a headache but other than that, I'm kind of tired, but it's not, it's not too bad. It's not, it's not too rough, but my partner, Eric has it much worse than I do. So I'm, I uh, feel bad for him. <laughs> <laughs> well, as ever, let me know if you're like, Hey, I'm actually too coveted for this. But for those of our listeners who do not know who this, you know, angelic voiced COVID having <laughs> individual is, could you please introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, everybody. I'm Katie Osaurus. Uh, you can call me Kate. Uh, I am a... Uh, <laughs> it's hard to explain, but yeah, I'm that, a... This is why I ask people to do it for me, because it's a, a lot of people are doing a lot of things. It's okay. So the best, the best one that I've come up with so far is I am a full-time content creator, streamer, disability educator, and advocate 
actor and podcast host, which I think encompasses most everything that I do. Um, specifically, I talk a lot about ADHD uh, and neurodivergency, specifically uh, its impact on things like relationships and sex and intimacy. But the other side of what I do is I'm also really, really into TTRPGs. <laughs> so I do a lot of advocating and educating about neurodiversity and making tabletop role-playing games just accessible for everybody, regardless of you know disability or neurotype or anything like that. So that's what I do. I talk about <laughs> sex things. and Dungeons and Dragons. Yes, exactly. Sex, ADHD, Dungeons and Dragons. That's pretty much it. Niceness, I guess, generally speaking. <laughs> so you do a lot of things, as we have already established. Yes. And we will be talking about a great many of those things in said context. But let's get let's get to those juicy or that juicy origin story for starters. Um <laughs> I knew you were a, th- a theater person, professionally and just, you know, as a as a person. <laughs> what was your first exposure to tabletop role playing games, fantasy, general kind of nerdery in that in that regard? Oh gosh. Well, my my that's like three different answers because yes, my it. my first exposure to generalized nerdery was through my dad. My dad was a huge Star Wars fan. He also really really loved Star Trek. Um, and so my sort of like origin story was I started with Star Trek. We would watch uh, TNG together mm-hmm. every afternoon, Same. which came on immediately before reading Rainbow. And so there was a very long period of my life where I didn't understand that LeVar Burton was an actor. I just thought Dory <laughs> Forge worked on the Starship Enterprise and then like moonlighted as like a guy who like read me stories. And like, I genuinely believed that was the truth for a very long time, like longer than I'm willing to admit. He took off, he took off his visor yeah, he to had, like, read. Yeah. He had like reading his... glasses and like, yeah. that was like, that was the situation. Uh, so that was kind of my first introduction to like nerdery. But at the time, I didn't know it was nerdy. Like, I mm-hmm. didn't know that there was like a, like, I don't even want to say stigmatization, but just like a, oh, like Star Trek, Star Wars, that's a nerd thing. Because I was like, yeah. these are just good ass stories. Yeah, they're you things. Know? Um, but also my dad had played D and D, especially like when he was in college. And so he had always kind of, I think, wanted to get me into D and D, but even as a young kid, <laughs> I don't know why, but like, I, I don't remember where I heard this or like how I came to have this opinion, but I'd always kind of thought that like D and D wasn't for girls, like girls yeah. couldn't play D and D. Um, and so I, Basically, it was just like, no, I don't want to. It's boring. It's silly or whatever. So it wasn't until actually after my dad passed away that I got into TTRPGs. And I got into it kind of backwards. I actually star- started with um, Star Wars Edge of the Empire. That was the mm-hmm. first TTRPG that I ever played. Um, but then after my dad passed away, one of his friends who he had been like roommates or something with in college, like called me out of the blue one day. And he was like, I have this box of your dad's stuff. Like do you want it? It's been in my basement for like 30 years. And I was like, sure. And so he, we met up and he brought it to me and it had a bunch of my dad's old character sheets. Oh, cool. Yeah. And so that kind of started me off on kind of my, my D and D specific journey. But what I got really interested in, it was sort of just like the history of D and D and like, yeah. just like sort of like vintage collector D and D. So mm-hmm. I, I have a, at this point, a fairly prolific vintage <laughs> D&D collection, um, but I also play a lot of 5e now. And through sort of advocating and educating about neurodivergency, um, I've also just picked up a lot of games and done like a lot of charity streams and stuff. So it's it's been kind of interesting because I went from not playing D&D at all to it being like a significant part of what I do for my actual adult job. Yeah, right. Um, which has been... It's been a very interesting journey. I will say that much. 
<laughs> I have a, already have a f- five questions spanning from your origin stories. But if I recall correctly, you started into content creation, big air quotes, as a job or as a, I don't know, pursuit or whatever. I think it was towards the start of the pandemic, correct? Is yeah. when things kind of started. So it's only been a relatively short amount of time for you that you've been like officially doing it in the full full capacity that you are now. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's weird that this is how it worked out. Um, but I have ADHD. And so I never know what day it is. But my <laughs> it's actually my two year anniversary of posting the the video that like went viral and like really changed everything is the 4th of July. So really? it's been officially two years as of like Monday. So well, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I also wanted to ask before moving on, what, okay, you said primo, you know, vintage, expansive tabletop role-playing game in D&D collection. What, what are some highlights? What's like the cool, the cool thing or things oh, that you have that well, you I always just, love to brag about? I just found, I just found um, out an estate sale like last week. I found this like cache of old like uh, second edition books and stuff. But in that collection was uh, a bunch of old character sheets. I love old character sheets. Of course. Just because I feel like there's like, like there's just like a story to it. But, and also there are character sheets, but there are also like little sketches of like the characters and like information and stuff. So actually I'm with a few other content creators that I've met through uh, playing D&D. We're actually working up a campaign where we want to try and play the characters oh my god um and just kind of see what happens because they're like really yes. they're really fun you know um and i just kind of like the idea of like somebody listening to like to like some random podcast and be like wait a second like <laughs> what what that's my character because i have no idea i have no idea who it belonged to or anything and so i just i just love the idea of like sort of like bringing these characters you know new life and that kind of thing um but one of the really cool things that i found was a old like order form, like an old, like, oh, like selling the game. Yeah, magazine insert like, kind well, of Well, not deal. even the magazine insert. It was what the dealers would bring around oh, to the old yeah. game stores to be like, hey, Whoa. you should put our, our products on the shelves, which is like super rare. You never get yeah. to see like how they used to have to sell these games. And it comes in this like little like accordion folder yep. thing and, you, like, pull it, and it got all these like different brochures and stuff. But it's really cool. And it was just like one of those things where like I have a lot of cool pieces I have a lot of stuff I also have like my white whale that I still haven't been able to find and I'm like I'm hoping that I'll find it someday but like that I think is one of the coolest things because it really gives you I think a sense of like place and time mm-hmm. and like culturally like where were we um, and the one that I have is from 1994 which was right when the Game Boy was becoming a thing <laughs> um, and uh-huh. so it was really interesting because a lot of the marketing is absolutely centered around the idea of like be here now with your friends like don't be in your Game Boy be here and I just think that's like such an interesting thing because now like we have these like two very different sort of dichotomies of yeah. like ttrpgs but then ttrpgs are also like a lot online and like actual play is a thing Mm -hmm. but then you also have like video game streaming and like that kind of stuff and so it's like it's just really interesting that there was like that early on into video game technology there was already this sort of conversation about like how does ttrpg like fit into the world yeah um and i'm a giant sort of like historian academic nerd that's the kind of stuff that like i get excited about so like <laughs> i i was super excited to find that because it was like a little piece of like history you know yeah it's like you said especially from that moment where yeah it, exactly would that have been like 2e probably in my yeah opinion? it was yeah it was, it was 2e yeah 
That's really cool. And what is your white whale? You mentioned it. Do you have it? You do you Dungeons know? exclamation point. It was a board game. It was like, mm-hmm. it wasn't a TTRPG. It was a board game called Dungeons exclamation point. Um, but I don't want the board game. I want the t-shirt because ah. I have, because I have a bunch of like two E three E stuff. And in it, there is an order form where you can order Dungeons exclamation point, the board <laughs> game, but you can also order a Dungeons exclamation point t-shirt. And I want that t-shirt more than anything else in the world, but they don't exist. Like they, cause they would like custom print, like they would just screen print it. You know, some guy would just like screen print it at the place. And so like, unless you like bought one, there's not like a store of them somewhere. You know what I mean? Right. There wasn't just leftover boxes in warehouses kind of like antique situation. Exactly. And so like, you know, like I found a couple of like vintage D and D t-shirts, which are also like really rare because most of the time the people who bought them would wear them to death. Sure. Um, and so that's, that's my white whale It's a dungeons exclamation point t-shirt and not a reprint. I want a vintage one. I don't know why I'm so hung up on it, but that's, that's what I want. And and that, you know, and when the, when the heart wants something, that is the only thing. So you heard it here, heard it here, uh, Reckless Attack listeners. You know, I, if you yeah. can connect. If Kate you have to a, one, I will spend hookup. an irresponsible, <laughs> I will Venmo you an irresponsible amount of money. Just so you know. <laughs> just putting that out into the world. <laughs> um, so clearly you do a lot of tabletop role-playing game stuff and it is something very important, very near and dear to you and an important like pillar of, of what you do for a living at the moment. So was there a kind of tipping point or either either individual tipping point that was like, oh, this scratches this itch. This is what I want to be doing. You know, like, what does it do for you or what did it do for you to kind of get its claws into you? It sounds really trite, but the real answer is it's telling good stories with my friends. Yeah. Um, because my, my background is in theater. And while I was... T- getting my sort of fancy guy theater training. I also was working at an improv theater, which not a lot of people know about, but I have like an extensive (laughs) background in improv. I was not very good at it, which (laughs) I have a whole other rant about later, which is like, Oh, that like red flags of neurodivergency abound. Um, But like, so I loved performing. I loved theater. I loved telling stories. And then even when I started to niche down harder into like, okay, well, what kind of stories do you like to tell? Yeah. I have two master's degrees in Shakespeare. Um, and the thing that drew me to Shakespeare was like this, the specificity of the language and the specificity of the mm. the verse and how the words sound and how they move. I always picture like, I know Pocahontas is a shitty movie, but like, I always kind of picture words like the colors of the wind, like yep, just kind absolutely. of like swirling around yeah. you, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, that's how I feel when I'm doing Shakespeare. And then I realized that like, well, I could just do that. I could just, I could just <laughs> mm-hmm. do that with my friends and use words in like this exceptionally powerful way. And that was fascinating to me. And that was so exciting to me because as an actor, you don't get to tell your own stories. Mm-hmm. You stand in the spot and where they tell you to stand and you say the words that they tell you to say, and you're not actually a wizard. So I was like, okay, well, I get to make the choices. I get to determine what happens to these characters. And that was so exciting to me but the thing that like i think really always like kneecapped me was i'm terrible at math i really <laughs> really struggle with math like to a point mm-hmm. where it's like it kept me from playing D because i kept hearing like oh you have to keep track of all these numbers and oh you have to do this math thankfully i met a dm who was like 
I don't care. We'll just <laughs> use D&D Beyond for your roles and it's not a big deal. As a neurodivergent person who like, I really and truly can't do math, like developmentally. Mm -hmm. um, it was that was like one of the first times that I really felt like the game was accessible to me. And so a lot of times, like when I'm doing charity streams or like appearances and stuff, if you look, I've always got my phone or I always have a tablet and a lot of people are like rolling dice. I have an irresponsible amount of dice for like somebody who uses maybe one <laughs> once a game mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, because I have to have a computer do the math for me or I can't do it, which is it is what it is. There are so many tables that don't touch physical dice. Exactly. Ever. I have a perfectly great game. <laughs> yeah. And you'd be surprised at how much pushback I get about that. Like, it's it's weird. You're like, you're not a real D&D player. I'm like, no, I have dyscalculia and I can't count, but thank you. Yeah. Um, it's it's one of those things where like, I can and I can't at the same time. Yeah, you know, it's like, like, yeah, I'd buy that people would give you a lot of shit. Yeah, right. <laughs> doing it differently. Like, no, that, that tracks, unfortunately. Yeah. I was like, oh, it's great. So like, but I mean, that was the real thing was like, I realized that that TTRPG, not even necessarily D&D, which I talk about a lot, but just as a whole, was a place where I could very specifically sit down and use words to create something mm -hmm. compelling and fascinating and fun and interesting with my friends. But then even more, like as I got more into TTRPG, I found games or like systems, I guess, like, you know, powered by the apocalypse, like, mm -hmm. uh, especially like Monster of the Week, A Quiet Year, like those type of games where it's like, it's not even about the dice. It's about the story. It's about like mm -hmm. the yes and. It's about that like sort of technical feat of adding on and that is fascinating to me it's so exciting so yeah that was a really long answer i'm sorry mm -hmm. i just get really excited <laughs> no i tell i tell everyone i i've been interviewing people for a long time like professionally and on the podcast and everyone is always and i'm sure you know as an interviewer everyone is sure that they just are blabbing nonstop. And it's like well i must have just gotten irredeemably nonsensical during that. It's like, no, this is all great. You're, you're good. You're safe. <laughs> good to know. Um, yeah. So something that, that struck me as you were talking is the, the power of story and the power of kind of language and kind of the appeal of using language and story, right. To connect, to, to convey emotion, all that kind of stuff. You are someone who plays in a lot of different formats. So do you find your own interaction with the game? Does that change depending on the format and setting? Are you pretty much the same creator where it's like, nope, it's just a pickup game and I've written whatever DM dialogue that I want or it is live and so I'm prepared to the gills with stuff that I've written or how, you know, how, how does that different stage of play uh, affect you? Oh, man. I have a really hot take of Ooh, exceptionally yeah. hot take is that I will die on the hill of that. There is a very big difference between D and D that is played at home with your friends and D and D that is, that is, and I choose this word very specifically performed for yes. an audience to listen to. I agree. And I think that there's a really interesting conversation happening right now in sort of like the TTRPG sphere as a whole, where a lot of people are really starting to talk about things like mm -hmm. session zeros. And Gabe Hicks posted a TikTok about how like, hey, you guys know that like, we talk about this stuff, right? Like, <laughs> like these like twists and turns are like, we're negotiating this, like we're having these conversations, because like, as storytellers, sometimes a character dying might be the most powerful way that we can end a story or start a story or whatever. 
And those are conversations that we are specifically having. Mm -hmm. um, so my answer is I treat performative D&D very, very differently than like playing with my friends. Because if I'm playing with my friends, it might be a one shot or it might be something where I'm like, yeah, we're going to meet every Monday until we don't and we'll <laughs> yeah. see what happens. But a lot of times with the type of work that I do where you're doing specific appearances or you're doing like charity streams or something, that's a one shot where you have a very specific goal and coming in with like a very specific goal or a very specific direction that the campaign has to go in order to keep the story moving. That's very different. Mm -hmm. And I love, I love the break the game stuff. I love breaking the game, <laughs> but like I find that in spaces where you're doing stuff like charity streams or appearances or that kind of stuff, you can't break the game. You, yeah. you can't. Like, there's a lot that you can bring into it. I feel like playing casually, I have a lot more freedom to just kind of be like, and then I stab the bartender. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, it's my friends. And like, you know, we'll just have fun. But you can't stab the bartender if it's a one shot. And he's the one who needs to tell you where to go. <laughs> yep. You know, like I've done one shots at conventions and stuff where nothing happens for 50 minutes. And it's the most fun 50 minutes I've ever had in my entire life. But that still has to be mutually agreed upon beforehand. You know what I mean? So I think that in some ways, the core, like the core basics of yeah. everybody has to be on board, like consent is absolutely mandatory. It is not optional, you know, safety checks, session zeros, you know, discussing like, what are your lines? What are your veils? All of that stuff like that stuff never changes for me. That is the same. Right. Does that make yeah. sense? Kind of? Yeah, absolutely. And do you find that your personal, your like personal fulfillment in performative tabletop role-playing game versus home tabletop role-playing games, like, are you still kind of expressing similar things and similar desires and wants in the way that you want to be t telling stories? Or are those also kind of separate experiences, for, at least for, for you? Oh, I'm going to give a cop-out answer. But yeah. I feel like the difference isn't necessarily in things like how I approach the character. The difference for me is is the technical kind of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Because like if you're sitting around a kitchen table and you've got a map and you've got your mini figs and you've got all your stuff, I can kind of just go, yeah, I want my guys move kind of, I don't know, like over here, you know, and you can kind of just do that and everybody knows what you're talking about. But if you are recording, you know, mm -hmm. I do one podcast that is live streamed, but we don't have like a map or anything. I do another podcast that is only audio. And then I do a lot of like convention appearances where we're doing like a live show in front of people. That's three very different ways that you have yes. to think about describing things. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, that is really the, the biggest change that I make is if I'm in front of an audience even if it's something as boring as like, I don't know, casting a spell. Like if I'm at home, yeah, I might add a little, a little flavor text, make it a little <laughs> spicy or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but like I cast fireball is not nearly as compelling. It is not nearly as like aurally interesting, you know, as, you know, <laughs> as Fira looks up at the monster and fire begins to swell or, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like that kind absolutely, of thing. Absolutely. Um, and so that's mm -hmm. really, I think the, the biggest difference for me is bearing in mind when something needs to be compelling for the sake of the audience yeah. to make sure that they are getting the most compelling, most interesting, most listenable or watchable mm -hmm. product 
Whereas like casual play is like, I think there can be a little bit more like shortcuts or just like, yeah, I cast fireball and it's dope, you know, (laughs) (laughs) which it is like in, you know, in, in fairness, fireball is dope, but understood. Yes. Exceptionally overpowered, but dope. (laughs) Right. And sometimes overpowered is dope. And, you know, we all just shrug and say, yep, that's fine. It is what it is. (laughs) So just for context for for me, but mostly for the listener, because I have already Googled this, how many shows, whether they are podcasts, whether they are streams, whether they're your own streams, because you, I know, do, I think, either almost daily morning talk streams and all that kind of stuff. So how many actual things are you on and doing uh somebody asked me this yesterday and if you count stuff that i already have on my calendar um (laughs) but hasn't aired yet and or are in the works i think the answer is 19 yowza yeah that's (laughs) but that's like not that's like you know that's like not counting boring stuff like and then i post on instagram every day like the boring stuff but like uh, between like the podcast and the actual plays and the charity streams and like that kind of stuff um i've got about like 19 separate like games or games running or in the works so (laughs) so many things many things and and a lot of things touching on a lot of different topics so part of the reason i wanted to to ask that not just because it was a cool (laughs) cool factoid and a cool thing to explore but you know like we said a little bit earlier you flipped over to being again quote-unquote full-time content creator um as like a amorphous of a of a job title as that is relatively recently in the grand scope of human existence so can you kind of just first talk me through a little bit about how you made that transition and why yeah it's (laughs) it's kind of a long story so four years before the pandemic our story begins here um (laughs) but i was i was going to to grad school in virginia at the american shakespeare center and that was where i got my master's um master's is is master (laughs) i don't know what two of them whatever it's too many i didn't get a master's in pluralizing master degrees it's nearly impossible because it's like i never know where to put the apostrophe but anyway (laughs) so i was doing that and i was working and then afterwards i was hired at the american shakespeare center and i was their asm assistant stage manager. Um, and I was also like the company swing. So I was like understudying, but the real truth was like, I, I just kind of was tired of Shakespeare. Like I was like, I love Shakespeare. I'm passionate about Shakespeare, but all Shakespeare all the time for like almost five years was like kind of getting to be a lot. Um, and so on a complete whim, I sent an email to the Georgia Renaissance Festival. And I said, I know a lot about Shakespeare. I know a lot about historical costuming. And I'm also a blacksmith. Uh, and they said, that's weird. Well, our entertainment director just quit, uh, or I guess got promoted. Um, do you want the job? Like, they just offered me this job. And I was like, like, sight unseen. Like, it was bananas. And I was like, uh, Sure. So kind of on a complete whim, I moved across the country and I was the entertainment director at the Georgia Renaissance Festival. And I loved it. I loved that job. I loved that job so goddamn much. I loved that job. (laughs) And I was good at it. Like Mm -hmm. I was good at that job. I wasn't good at all the parts of the job. I was bad at the admin. I was terrible at managing payroll, but I loved it. Like I was, and I was good at it. So I did that job for two years, but then the pandemic hit. And then like everybody who has made their career in the arts for the past, however many years, Mm -hmm. um, suddenly and swiftly and without any warning, my (laughs) entire industry shut down overnight. 
Yep. Um, the theaters closed, festivals canceled, large events canceled, everything was done. And it was really scary. It was really scary. And it was really hard because like all of my friends, like every single person that I knew and interacted with, like nobody I knew had a real job. You know, everybody was an actor. Everybody <laughs> mm-hmm. was a performer, like cruise ship performers, magicians, circus performers, Rennies, like all of that stuff. Um, and all of a sudden I was just like, everybody I know is out of work. A lot of people are just struggling. And I was like, well, what do I do? You know, like what, what, how do I spend my time? And so I had, I had a TikTok, and I was just bored and I was <laughs> frustrated. Um, and at some point uh, I was looking around my house and I was really frustrated because my house was really dirty and there's this trend going around TikTok, and the trend was things in my insert your specific circumstances here house that just makes sense and then they'd be like this is my twenty thousand dollar mattress that i bought from a man on a mountain you know like whatever (laughs) um and it was like and it was this really popular trend and it was going viral and i was really annoyed because it was all over my for you page but everybody's houses were like these magazine designer like million dollar homes and I was like, I literally had a pile of cardboard boxes in my hallway that had been there for six months. And so I made a video and I was like, things in my ADHD house that just make sense. Um, and if you go back and look at the video, I misspoke and I said ADD house that just makes sense. Because at that point in time, I was like still kind of unsure about the difference, which is very funny to me now. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> and so I was like, okay. And so I made this video and it went super viral. Like it went, it went bananas viral. And... I kept seeing this comment over and over and over in the comment section. And it was, I've never seen anybody who has a house that looked like mine. I've never heard anybody Mm -hmm. talk about their doom piles. I've never heard anybody talk about the box where they just shove the random stuff that they have no idea what to do with. And I've never seen anybody put that online. I've never seen anybody show that. And somebody asked a question, you know, like, well, how do you clean or whatever? And so I answered that um, with another video and that video did pretty well. And then somebody asked a question in that comment section about like, well, you clean, but like, how do you pay your bills? And I said, well, here's how I do it. (laughs) Um, And then the next thing I knew, I had 100,000 followers and I was like, huh, (laughs) maybe I have something to say. Like Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe there is something to talking about my own experience as a late diagnosed neurodivergent person. And then I made a video about ADHD and sex. And I said, hey, guess what? Like, if you get bored or distracted or sometimes you check out during sex, like, you're not alone. You're not the only person. You're not a bad person. It doesn't mean that you love your partner any less. It doesn't. None of that. It's just it is part of having ADHD. And the Internet lost its mind. (laughs) Um, And that was when I kind of realized, like, okay, this is what I want to do because I have spent so long feeling broken and Mm -hmm. and and like i missed the memo on how to be a person and like there was something fundamentally and inherently wrong with me as a person because i struggled to do my laundry and do my dishes and frankly like remember sex exists um and so i just started talking about that and i started talking about it very honestly and frankly very vulnerably i think looking Mm -hmm. back like way too vulnerably like i should have done more to like protect my mental health but i was like i'll just put it all out on the internet yeah right why not yeah just Um, just yell it to as many strangers as i can totally totally safe totally good and then kind of the next thing i knew i had like two million followers and now i'm talking to you so that's that's how (laughs) that straight line (laughs) straight line i can directly track it to write to this exact moment yeah exactly uh 
So this is is nominally a tabletop role playing game uh, discussion podcast, but is more more a creative podcast and a oh god i keep saying content creation and i just want to rip <laughs> it out of my mouth but it is okay <laughs> well, you, you said oh maybe i have something to say and that really jumped out at me especially being someone who had been doing creative work been doing acting and was looking for something and kind of got that validation not just because like, ah, people liked what I had to say, but it was a point of vulnerability, kind of something that you were understanding about yourself. What what was kind of that experience like for you? Sometimes I answer questions with stories, but I promise this is going to This somewhere. is a story podcast. That's what I'm, I'm here collecting stories like an eldritch <laughs> being. So the other day I was talking to one of my old mentors from college who had found out about like all of this. And I think everybody was really surprised um, because I was sort <laughs> of like, I like, I want to be very clear. I loved theater. Like I've loved theater my whole life. Um, but I think one of the things that I really struggled with was I was never good in the way that I wanted to be. Yeah, like sure. I was never like, I desperately wanted to do Broadway and I wanted to do musicals, but like, I'm a, I'm a passable singer, but like, I don't have a belt. Um, you know, similarly, I'm a terrible dancer, which fun fact, I now know like clinically is related to my undiagnosed neurodivergency. Like I lack interoception. I have no idea where my body is in space at any point in time. So I was like, I, I wanted to, to be successful in this way that I had sort of like constructed what success was in my head. Um, and I was like, being successful in theater means being the star of a Broadway musical and being sure. a really good dancer and yep. being a really good singer and like, you know, whatever. And then I fell kind of honestly really accidentally into Shakespeare and I fell in love with it. Um, but I fell in love with it because Shakespeare for me is kind of like a three pronged thing where you have this very like cool artistic acting element, which I am actually a very, very, I'll say it. I'm a very good Shakespearean actor. Like I'm not made for Broadway musicals, but if you need a lady Macbeth, <laughs> I've played it seven times. Like it's, I, I have a very specific mm -hmm. number of roles that I play all the time um, because they just like make sense to me. Um, but then on top of that, there is like a costuming element, like, cause a lot of companies like to do the historical costuming. Um, and I love crafting. I love making stuff with my hands. I love sewing and I love, I love cosplay. And so I was like, cool, I can be an actor, but I can also get gigs in the costume shop type mm -hmm. of thing. Mm -hmm. But then there was also a teaching element because a lot of companies will hire teaching artists who it's like, Hey, you're playing, I don't know, Beatrice at night, but then during the day you're going into schools and you're teaching kids about Shakespeare. And that was what I wanted to do. That was like it. I was like, this is a perfect job for me. I love it. Um, I worked at a bunch of different Shakespeare festivals. Um, and particularly at the Great River Shakespeare Festival in Winona, Minnesota, they would just throw me on stage. They'd be like, hey, there's 300 kids showing up. Go teach them about Shakespeare. I'd be like, dope. All right. And I'd just go and I'd just on do it. it, you know? Um, and I loved it and I was really good at it. But I was still trying to be this thing. I was still yeah. trying to do this this thing and, and construct this idea of success out of what I had been told. And also important to people who are listening to the podcast, it is important to note that I am a, a plus-sized person person um and so i kept hearing that you know my body wasn't right or my look wasn't right at the mm -hmm. time i had a pixie cut and you know well you can't be an ingenue and be a size 14 and have a pixie cut you can't be an ingenue and have tattoos or like whatever circling all the way back to the beginning of the story is i was i was sort of talking through all of this with my mentor and we were we were discussing it and i said you know 
the thing is, is that at no point in theater training, do you ever get a class on fame? You mm-hmm. never get a class on success. You never mm-hmm. get a class on here's how to treat fans when they approach you. Here's yeah. how to sign an autograph without getting your identity stolen. Like all of these like weird things. <laughs> and I think it's because there is an assumption that I don't want to say there's an assumption of failure, but there is an assumption that if you go into the theater, you are always going to be doing it on somebody else's terms. And if you are lucky and you are extraordinarily lucky, mm-hmm. then maybe you'll make it, maybe you'll make a living or whatever. Um, but there's, there's never like this, like absolute assurity that like you will be successful. Right. And I think that's really interesting um, because the success, I think, again, is predicated a lot on being something to somebody else. You have to look the part. You have to sound the mm-hmm. part. You have to be what they're envisioning. Um, and so I think the thing that changed sort of my perspective on all of this, um, and now I'm going to cry because I don't feel good uh, and, I'm, and it's emotional, but it was the first time that I got a piece of fan mail that said, you saved my life. Yeah. Like, that's of course different than doing Shakespeare. You know, like that, that's different. And, and for me, like, I was like, I was making dumbass like one minute videos about like ADHD, um, you know, neurodivergency, self-acceptance, that kind of thing. But I just thought like, it wasn't real. Like it wasn't, it wasn't like a real thing. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It was just like, I put them into the ether and they disappear. And then a number pops up on the screen and says, yeah, you know, absolutely. a million. And I go, oh, cool. A million. But like, what actually is that? Um, and so then I got that letter. And then I got another one and then I got another one and then I got another one. And now I have uh, literally a box of like 5,000 some pieces of mail that people have sent me saying like the way that you did this, the way that you presented it, this was the first time it made sense to me. This was the first time that I was able to relate to my husband, relate to my wife, relate to my partner, you know, understand my son, understand my daughter, like all of these different stories that people tell me. Um, And so I don't know if that's actually answering the question or not. Um, but what I think the very, very long winded summation of the answer is that content creation for me became a way that I could be successful on my own terms. Um, but in a way that was directly related to helping people who are also struggling to be on their own terms. Um, and I think that there's something really cool about that but i yeah i don't know i i'm really bad at explaining it still because it sounds really pretentious to be like mm, yeah i get fan mail but that's no that's not pretentious that, at all yeah. and anyone anyone who thinks it is pretentious is a is a jerk and needs <laughs> to re-examine some things like no you are allowed to enjoy and appreciate your impact on other humans that is that is allowed and should be encouraged i would say <laughs> So something that I really enjoy about a lot of your stuff is that certainly not, you know, not everything you do is like, ah, yes, this is an opportunity to be talking about ADHD or my experience in sex therapy and sex work and all these other things. But you do interweave a lot of your kind of like personal expertise in those sort of things, whether it's a TikTok video, you know, kind of explaining things or saying, hey, here's how you should be a DM for a player who has ADHD. What's your relationship between yourself, the artist, yourself, the person, and the art that you're putting out and your your message, your messages, I guess, if that's an okay way of putting it. <laughs> um, story for a story, story for a question again. 
Um, so very recently I finally cracked and I was like, I have to get a manager. Or I have to get somebody who can kind of help me like navigate all of this because I, it's very hard to do this by yourself. And I was, I white knuckled it through 1.5 million followers. And then I was like, <laughs> I can't, I can't do this mm-hmm. anymore. But the first meeting I had with the team that I work with now was like, okay, so I really like Dungeons and Dragons, but also I'm a certified sex educator. Also, yeah. I have two master's degrees in Shakespeare. <laughs> I am also a trained blacksmith, if that's important. Um, I'm a <laughs> cosplayer, you know, and I'm like rattling off this stuff. And they're like, mm-hmm. what are you talking about? And I was like, yeah, and I, I play, I own a Minecraft server and, you know, and it's going on and on and on. And I was yep. like, yeah, and you know, sometimes like I really like to paint and I'm like, oh, I play the ukulele. And they're like, what is happening? I'm like, I own a hurdy-gurdy. And they're like, Jesus Christ. I'm like, I'm a professional pirate. And they're like, please stop. I'm just um, imagining them like ushering you out as you're just keep like, calling out things right? that you're like, interested uh, in or I was like, I used to work doing. in bridal alterations. Um, <laughs> uh, that was my first job. Anyway, so I realized that that conversation was a microcosm of this sort of overarching thing that had been happening to me my entire life, which is where I kept getting told, and I think Mm -hmm. this happens to a lot of people, I kept getting told that I had to choose, right? Like you can only be a streamer. You can only, you know, whatever. You can only be a streamer. You can only do whatever, whatever. Um, And I was like, no, like that's not, that is inherently and fundamentally not who I am. And that is, I think, at the core of of everything that I do, is that I have my entire life unapologetically said, I am not going to choose. I am going to be a director. I'm also going to be a stage manager. I'm also going to be an actor. I'm also going to be one hell of a costume designer, you know? And and people keep looking and going, well, well, you can't you're never going to become an expert. You're never going to become, you know, good at whatever. And I say, mm-hmm. I don't want to be good. Mm-hmm. I want to learn. I want to learn. I, I never, even with the stuff that I do now, I never pretend that I'm the smartest person in the room. And frankly, I think if you think you're the smartest person in the room, you're probably the dumbest because <laughs> everybody, Works that brings way a lot. Some, yeah, like everybody brings something to the table. Um, and so what I started realizing was like every experience that I have had, somehow in some way circles back. You know what I mean? Like, like I said, my first job was in wedding dress alterations. Well, when I went to the American Shakespeare center and they were looking for a, you know, just somebody like hem the gowns or whatever. Like, so I worked my way up to wardrobe supervisor and then out of wardrobe supervisor, I became a stage manager. And then like out of stage managing, I was able to work at the Renaissance festival, you know? So it's like, it just, everything I think compiles And so I think for a lot of people, especially neurodivergent people who have a really hard Mm -hmm. time choosing or sticking with something or have that Mm -hmm. experience of getting really excited about a hobby for two weeks and then, you know, (laughs) you know, putting it in the closet, never crocheting again. I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think that there's anything wrong with it. And in fact, I think that we should celebrate that and we should, we should get excited about that and, and support people doing that. That is what I keep saying. Like, that is what I am about. I am I am not about ADHD content. I am not about yeah. sex content. I'm not about Shakespeare content because God knows like 12 people watch it. But they're very enthusiastic. Those 12 They people. are there for it. And um, there is, you know, it's a loyal and, and vocal. But but for me, like I I kind of just feel like when I was a kid, I would have loved to know that somebody like me 
was out there, mm-hmm. who had done a lot of different jobs, who had been a lot of different things, who was interested in everything all the time to a point where it hurts. Like I get sad that I will never get to know everything <laughs> and learn yeah. everything and try every hobby. I get, I get genuinely sad about that. And so I think like for me, I don't bring part of myself. I don't bring like a a certain facet of myself to the table. I put, and I think probably to a fault, I, I put my whole self out there because I just fundamentally and deeply and passionately believe that like, it is okay to like Shakespeare as much as you like <laughs> mm-hmm. educating people about yeah. sex, as much as you like cosplay, as much as you like Minecraft, as much as you like Dungeons and Dragons. And there's nothing goddamn wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that was, that was part of what made prep for this interview. So interesting. <laughs> You're like, I don't even know what to talk about. Well, no, it's, it's that I know there was so much to talk about. Right. <laughs> and like for, for some people, it's like, Hey, you have just released your new adventure or you do this podcast that I really love. And let's talk about this thing and you and looking at you, even though you haven't, you know, you quote unquote, haven't been a content creator for long, which is two years, which is kind of a long time <laughs> in, in that business. So much of your stuff, overlaps in terms of vibes of content of subjects and that kind of stuff. So it was a really interesting uh, perspective to start looking at for certain. Another thing that I was really interested in, especially because you are someone who has a lot of eyeballs on your stuff, on what you do, and you have a lot of platforms in which it is, it is uh, it watched or listened to or whatever. And knowing that you are someone who, who, puts yourself as as the product and unabashedly you and celebratorily you, your struggles, your successes. How have you found managing the line between, or, or, or not managing the line and eschewing the line entirely, but the line between you, the person, you kind of the quote unquote brand and the intersection of, of those things? <sighs> I, I suck at it, honestly. Um, I mean, I think, I think my answer, it might sound a little bit silly, but I think the real truth is that Katiosaurus made Kate a much nicer person mm-hmm. because I am not a patient person. I am, <laughs> I am not, I'm not, I'm not patient. I am impatient. I am often cynical. I am, I often jump to the worst case scenario and I I admittedly was kind of raised by somebody who like taught me like that was that was how you do it you know like mm-hmm. you know it doesn't matter if you're mean to the waiter or not um like that kind of thing and I had to work really hard to like unlearn a lot of that mm-hmm. um and so I think a lot of my messaging very accidentally kind of became about kindness. Like I talk Mm -hmm. a lot about kindness and I talk a lot about compassion. Um, But I think a lot of times, like I I always say, I I don't ever worry about view, like view counts. Like I very rarely look at my views, but what I do is I make videos for the one person that day who needs to hear it. And sometimes I am that person. Sure. Absolutely. Um, But like the first time somebody compares you to Mr. Rogers, 
like you go, oh, that's nice. But then the 150th, 200,000th yeah. time somebody goes, you know who you remind me of is Mr. Rogers. You start going like, wow, like maybe, maybe like my content, maybe what I'm doing, like maybe that really does have an impact on people. And so I think it kind of like backwards, like bled over into my real life where I started going like, this is how people see me. This is what people yeah. think of when they watch my content. This is how I make them feel. So you better be damn sure that when you are out and about in public being actually Kate, that that matches. And and yeah. so like, I, like, I don't want to say like, oh, you know, like Katie source is like a fake act because I, I think I put more of my heart and soul into into Katie source than I, I have done in my entire life. But I think what Katie source let me do was like, let go of those like walls and let yeah. go of that, like, oh, well, I have to be tough and I have to be cynical and whatever. And so like, I've, I've. I learned how to like feel my emotions this year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's weird, you know? Yes. <laughs> um, and so like, that's Same. what I think happened is like, I think it's backwards. It's that I think by making content about self-acceptance and positivity and kindness and compassion, I was able to grant myself the compassion and self-acceptance that I think I had been looking for all along. Mm -hmm. And it kind of turned out that it didn't, come from anybody else it had to come from me and that mm -hmm. was the profundity of that cannot be understated yep. uh, despite its pretension i think <laughs> yeah <laughs> not at all no i i that, that certainly tracks with my experience kind of being out in the in the public eye so to speak um if you don't mind me asking do you, are you a person who accepts compliments well God, no, I'm, I get so uncomfortable. Because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and I, I've, I've listened to a couple of interviews where you are referred to as a Mr. Rogers. I know you had <laughs> talked about that before. And I know if I got that feedback, I would, I, like, my nose would bleed. I would, <laughs> like, just start twitching uncontrollably. And it would be, I, it wouldn't go well, is my point. So, <laughs> and I have a relatively limited audience. You have a large audience who are consuming, like, ex almost exclusively wholesome, affirming, compassionate content to yourself, to them, to their, you know, significant others, to whatever. So I'm curious how, how you handle the fire hose of either positive or negative uh, parts of, of having an audience. Um, I mean, honestly, I don't know if you're familiar with the oatmeal, like the webcomic. <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. But, so the oatmeal did this webcomic a while ago that was about accepting compliments. And for those who haven't seen it, I encourage you to look it up. But basically, the premise of it is like, if you struggle with accepting compliments, um, think about it like you're keeping that compliment to like give to somebody else and you're just sort of like passing it along. You're like the, the bearer of it for that moment and then you're mm -hmm. passing it along to the next person. You know, it's silly. Mm -hmm. It's a webcomic. Um, but it really changed the way that I thought about like kindness and compliments because before I used to always go like, oh, you know, it's not a big deal or like, oh, you know, like whatever. I did that bad or whatever. But I realized yep. like that when you do that, all you're doing is is you're just saying to that person no you're wrong here's why you shouldn't feel that way like i reject this compliment because you are wrong and i am mm -hmm. bad yeah um and i think it's much more generous and it's much more kind to just even if it makes you uncomfortable even if it makes your nose bleed um <laughs> mm -hmm. to just give that person that moment of your gratitude and your kindness and that acceptance even if you don't believe it you know even if you're like oh my god i'm not that amazing or i'm not special um but 
then what you do is you store it and you save it in a little place in your heart. And then the next time that you run into somebody who is having a bad day or whatever, you can go, Oh, I have that reserve Mm -hmm. of kindness that I can offer to this person. Um, So I compliment people a lot more now and, and the small stuff, you know, like small little things. Like I, I always fixate on people's glasses because I'm like a glasses person. You have Um, very good glasses. I do. I do have very good glasses there. I love my glasses so much. Thank you. But yeah, like, like that kind of thing. Like I think, kindness begets kindness and so Mm -hmm. whether or not i believe the compliment whether or not i agree with the compliment like that is not the point the point is is Mm -hmm. that that person is in that moment offering you a moment of vulnerability offering their time like they don't have to they don't have to compliment you and especially for me like they don't have to write me a five-page letter but they sat down and did the least i can do is read it the least i can do is internalize at least if not any sort of commentary on on the the goodness or badness of my work or whatever um the least i can do is say i can put a little bit more kindness into the world because of this person but similarly to answer the other half of your question it works i think the exact same way for like negativity it's sort of like the polar opposite of it where i get a lot of hate mail i get a lot of hate mail i get i've gotten death threats i've gotten i get a weird amount of rape threats like people there's a lot of people on the internet who want me to get raped apparently and i'm like what is wrong with you um and so that question of like what is wrong with you is one that i i had to kind of change the narrative of a little bit Mm -hmm. because instead of saying like well what is wrong with you i i sort of changed it in my head to what has caused you to hurt this much that you need to sit down at your computer and send somebody a 12 page rape threat or hate mail or just call me fat or ugly or stupid or dumb or whatever why are you hurting this much um you know and and the block feature is a beautiful thing because it takes very very little effort and it removes a lot of negativity but often and perhaps I shouldn't do this as much as I do, but sometimes I'll engage with them. Sometimes I'll email them back and I'll say, Hey, this was a lot, but I want you to know that I, a living, breathing human being with real feelings and real emotions read this. And I hope that you're okay. I hope that whatever you're feeling, whatever I said or did that made you feel this way. I hope that in this moment, like, your struggle is less and I wish you all the best and I will be blocking you forthwith. But I just want you to know that your words have consequences and the consequences are that I hope that you're okay. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, I shouldn't do it as much as I do, but I just, I feel bad. I feel bad for those people. I feel bad who, for the people who feel the need to lash out. I think for a lot of my content, it's often fear. It's often fear and it's often very much tied into, you know, if you hear somebody tell you like you are enough and you are good enough and that you are not broken and you've been told your whole life that you are and that you're a screw up and that everything you do is wrong and bad, it makes sense that you would lash out at the first person like who looks at you and says like, hey, guess what? Like, it's okay to be the way you are. Like, it makes sense. Like, like I, I, I totally understand it. I don't know. I just, I really just look at it as people who are hurting and people who are sad and people who are lonely. And especially after like, you know, year three of a pandemic, like people who are going through just a lot and, and sometimes they just need a place to direct that anger. And if I'm that place that I hope just, they feel better. 
you know, they probably don't, but I like to think that maybe they do. That is exceptionally uh, generous and and good hearted of you, for sure. Um, Sometimes even, I do to send the middle finger emoji and block them like I'm not a saint. <laughs> right. I mean, there's a there's a line and, you know, everyone has everyone has their own. Uh, cups or buckets or whatever. And sometimes <laughs> it just gets full and then you get a block and or a middle finger emoji. And I think that's pretty reasonable too. <laughs> Something that really kind of struck me just then is you're talking about, you know, kind of the narratives of self, right? What kind of stories do you personally enjoy? Um, whether it is enjoy telling, enjoy consuming, uh, obviously Shakespeare is up there, but you know, what, what kind of stories speak to you and what what do they say i mean i like a lot of different kinds of stories but i think the stories that resonate me with the most are first off i hate most shakespeare plays like i am <laughs> unapologetic in my hatred of like all but like nine of shakespeare's plays because most of them suck and they're terrible and they're boring and nobody should ever do them um but i think if you were to be like well the per a perfect movie does exist in its galaxy quest um uh, i mean I will no rebuttal but like my, you know, like my favorite movies all share a very similar theme. Like I like Galaxy Quest and the 1999 cinematic movie masterpiece, The Mummy, starring Rachel Weisz and Brendan Fraser. Absolutely. Um, you know, as as problematic as they are now, like the Indiana Jones movies, like I grew up on the Indiana Jones movies, movies like Shakespeare in Love and that kind of thing. And I think that universally, the stories that I love are stories that have adventure, um, but stories that also have like an academic element where it's like, oh, <laughs> like this, like, you know, this like unassuming librarian saves the world, like that kind of thing. Because I think like as a kid, I was I was really in my head. I mean, I've always been in my head. Like I've, I've always kind of just felt like a head with like a body attached, you know, like, <laughs> Oh, this is inconvenient. So I, I loved stories and I loved like Nancy drew. Like I read, I read the hell out of Nancy oh, yeah. drew as a kid. Um, but I always loved these stories of like this, like kind of like unassuming hero who's maybe a little nerdy or maybe a little awkward or maybe a little bumbling, um, you know, just going on this like massively big adventure and like saving the world. And, when I read, well, okay, full disclosure, I haven't actually ever read it. I listened to the audiobook of Lord of the Rings. The science but, has told us it's close <laughs> enough. It's, it's basically it's the fine. same. It's, it's fine. fine. Um, but when I, well, when I saw the Lord of the Rings movies for the first time, they changed my life. Like I was, I think, 13 or something when the first one came out and it changed the way like I thought about movies. They don't have to be grand. They don't have to be big adventures, you know? But I think that that kind of story of there's this great big world out there and what mm -hmm. happens when you step outside the library or, you know, whatever. And, and you, you know, dress up like a boy and play Romeo. Like what happens? Like, I just, I don't, there's something about that type of story. Um, but also just like the kind of like meta, uh, narrative of it too. Like that's my that's my toxic trait when I play D and D is I constantly <laughs> break the fourth wall because I like fundamentally I love D and D so much, but I also think D and D is just fucking ridiculous. Like we're of all course, sitting around this table like is. crying Absolutely. about like a fictional dragon being like or like oh yep. you know it's so silly and so like I I constantly break the fourth wall and it's something that I need to work on and I know that I need to work on it. But like a lot of those movies like Galaxy Quest where it's very like tongue in cheek and it's very much like we know you know like we know what we're doing thing. here. Like I just oh. I I love that movie so much. I love that movie. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> As a person who is a head attached to a very inconvenient body, has there been a time where you have been the librarian stepping out for the grand adventure or going into the desert sands of Egypt to <laughs> uncover whatever scarab related paraphernalia are happening or what have you? 
you know, God, now this just sounds like I paid you to ask this question. Um, Mm -mm. But honestly, my, the web series that I'm, I'm Mm -hmm. coming out with this, this hopefully in the next couple of months um, is very much kind of grounded in that. It's very much kind of grounded in um, it's called expert amateurs or amateur experts. We still have it decided. We probably should. We're we're workshopping. (laughs) Um, But basically it's, it's kind of a, a cross between what I was talking about earlier, which like, I don't want to ever be an expert. I just want to learn things and get excited and passionate. Um, but then also like what happens when like the awkward nerd, you know, academic decides to try ballroom dance for the first time. or you know, whatever. <laughs> so I'm really excited about it because it, it is, it's kind of, it's going to be kind of a cross between like the try guys and Mythbusters. Um, so I get to sort of harness like my academic historian background. Oh, that's going to um, be awesome. And I'm really excited about it, but it's also, sort of like on again like on the meta i've never done this before i've never done a project on this scale i've never worked with a television crew before i've never you know had to like have a call sheet you know like for like (laughs) myself you know i make the call sheets for the actors but i don't i don't you don't put yourself on there and so like all of a sudden you know i'm number one on the call sheet i'm like what the hell um and that in itself, I think, is is going to be a really big adventure because I think it's it's like I've been very public about the fact that I, I am kind of moving off of TikTok for a lot of different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is very much like a, a leap of trust. This is very much like a if I commit to this, if I put my time and my effort and my money into it, like I think this adventure might pay off. Um, and I'm I'm thrilled about it, but I'm also just absolutely terrified. <laughs> yeah. You have done a lot of things, have tried a lot of things, have gotten, uh, we will just say interested, not necessarily good, but interested in, <laughs> and tried many things. Does fear of failure ever, ever come up for you? Oh, um, or how does it come up? Constantly all the time. Um, yeah, constantly all the time is my answer. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good answer. I, and it's really funny, too, because like literally yesterday... I was doing an interview where they were asking me specifically about that. And they were like, well, what do you do? What do you do to solve it? I'm like, I don't, I'm just scared all the time. <laughs> like, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I think, you know, as trite as it sounds, like I think anything scary is worth doing as long as it's safe, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but like safety is, you know, I'm not going to die making, I mean, I might die. I might break my neck ballroom dancing. Cause God knows who knows. Yeah, right. Um, but I think like fear is really tricky because I never want to invalidate anybody else's fear. And I never want to be like that Mm -hmm. gross self-help guru. Who's like, just do it. Like, Oh, you know? Um, but I also spent a really long time being afraid. Like I spent a really long time Mm -hmm. worrying about like what I looked like or how I sounded, or, you know, I was too fat to play Juliet or whatever. And I didn't go for stuff. I didn't, I didn't go for my dreams. I didn't move to Chicago. Like I wanted to, I didn't move to New York. Like I wanted to, you know, like I live in the suburbs instead of in a city because I was scared to move into the city, like that kind of stuff. And I don't think those choices are necessarily good or bad. I think that they just are. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that ultimately at the end of, you know, like my life, like I want to be able to look back and say, like, I at least knew I now I know what happens. Yeah. Now I know what happens if I if I try and mount this, you know, web series project that I'm super passionate about. Now I know what happens, you know, if I try to play Dungeons and Dragons for my job. But I just I just want to know what happens, I guess, is maybe my answer to fear, which is. Yeah. 
a weird way to think about it, but it's fine. <laughs> no, I don't think so at all. I think I, I think that seems exceptionally reasonable and seems to have put you in some good places. So <laughs> maybe we all have a little bit more of that uh, when appropriate, certainly. Since you brought back D&D up and, and kind of about safety and about making sure that what you're doing is safe for others. It would be remiss of me not to ask some of your kind of your kind of thoughts as a player, as an organizer, as someone who knows a lot about such things and has hopefully benefited or maybe not benefited from when these have not occurred. But as either a player or a DM, is there some good good ways to kind of set yourself up for success, uh, either again, DMing for someone who has ADHD or being an ADHD player, knowing that it drastically changes in between individuals. Yes, but. I have a very concrete answer to this, which yes. I will then exposit on for far too long. Um, no but the short thing. and sweet answer is multiple tactics. That is, that is the, that is, I think the mm -hmm. most powerful thing that you can have in your toolbox as a DM or as a player for any scenario, anything, whether it's a session zero, whether it's playing, whether it's, it's running a game, whatever, multiple tactics are absolutely vital. What do you mean by that, Kate? Um, <laughs> I'm glad you asked, Kate. One of, one of the most interesting things to me, especially in conversation, like with this wonderful conversation that we're having about like consent and safety and stuff in TTRPGs, is that I think there is a lot of well-meaning, well-intentioned, bad stuff that is happening. Sure. Um, sure. And, and I don't think anything anybody like means anything by it. But one of the best examples that I have is like, you're having a session zero. Great. That's fantastic. I'm so happy and so proud of you for doing that. Are you asking your players to sit around a table and name all of their traumas in front of everybody else? Because for some people that in itself is not safe. Like that doesn't mm -hmm. feel good. And they may not say like, actually, I really <laughs> don't want to talk about spiders or whatever because they might've been made fun of for that or whatever. And so multiple tactics, right? Give them a Google uh, form or a discord server or somewhere where they can discuss that to you privately. Like it doesn't have to be, you don't have to have 47 different solutions for everything, but just one or two can be really helpful. Um, similarly, like even in conversation with things like, you know, like the X card, the X card is a, is a wonderful thing, but what about somebody who might freeze in the moment or get really uncomfortable and not, you know, have that ability to say, actually, I'm really uncomfortable, we need to stop for whatever reason, we don't need to fault or question that in any way, right? Um, so that could look like, you know, having player to player check ins, like even in character can sometimes be really helpful, like just literally your character being like, hey, are you, you've been really quiet lately? Are you okay? You know, and then you can pause the game and say, you know, like that kind of stuff. But I mean, there's a million of them for every scenario. Yeah, there's course. a 1000 different tactics. But the other one that I, I like to harp on a lot, because it is, um, it is very close to my heart uh, is I have uh, aphantasia, which means that I cannot picture stuff in my mind. Mm -hmm. um, and as a professional D and D player who cannot picture stuff in my <laughs> mind, 90% of the tables that I play at, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> I'm just like, and I'm not being funny about it. I'm yep. fucking dead serious. Yeah. I have no idea. I have no idea where my character is in space. I have no idea what the room looks like. I have no idea where anything is. I have no idea where the other players are. I am, quite literally <laughs> flying blind and that's really frustrating 
And it's really frustrating because it's like, I would love to know what it's like to be able to hear, you know, you walk into the tavern and it's rustic or whatever, and just instantly have that in my mind. I know I have an idea. I have sort of like a, 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 I always call it like my stock photo collection is because I can't conjure up an image. So what I do is I use like reference images that I have seen to kind of like build out a scene. Yeah. I love that. Um, Somebody asked me one time to describe like what it looks like in my head. And I said, you know, the part in, Doctor Strange where he's running through like the multiverse. <laughs> yeah, right. That's yeah. literally what it looks like in my head is because if somebody says a lamp, I'm not picturing a lamp. I'm picturing every lamp that I've ever seen in quick succession. Like, and that's just the entire room is just kind of like, right. And that's a lot to focus on all the time, especially when you have ADHD. <laughs> um, so having just really simple visual aids or f- sketch it on a post-it note, I don't give a shit. Um, <laughs> but like when you have players who have like those kind of like neurodivergencies, it can make the table much less accessible. Um, but I compensate by storytelling. Like, like if you notice, I like, if you ever like really pay attention to like when I'm like playing, I hang back in combat until I know that there's like one cool thing that I can pull off. I do that. I have my moment. I let everybody else step back. Cause I'm like, well, they're, they know where the monster is. I have no idea. So I'm just going <laughs> to let them handle this. And then I'm going to give a dramatic speech. Um, but I think that multiple tactics are super, super important because it's just another way to keep other people safe. You know, mm-hmm. it's another way to say, yes, like session zeros are super important, but session zeros need to look different depending on who you have at your table. And a one size fits all session zero is a great start. I don't, I don't want to like poop in anybody's ice cream if they're like, mm-hmm. wait, I've always been running my session zero the same way. Like that's okay. But I think it's really important to really, even if you're just playing with people for like a couple of hours to really just say like, Hey, it's okay. If you aren't comfortable speaking up, text me, here's my number, you know, like just text me at the table, no Mm -hmm. big deal, whatever. Um, But just giving people multiple avenues and multiple outs all the time. I think also just in gameplay makes you a better, a more creative and more interesting storyteller. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. So long winded. (laughs) No, not at all. No, that was like, I was like, ah, oh, taking down my own notes. Like, ah, oh, yeah, that's true. I do do, I do this and whoa, I should be doing more of this. So no, very, I, I, I can guarantee you it will be useful because it was useful to me. Um, <laughs> oh, like and, and, uh, and sorry, this is the other one. I just thought of this ADHD is after game briefs. Oh yeah. It, it is so great. If you are like, Hey everybody, like I'm going to check in with you after the game and make sure everything was cool. That's awesome. And that's so rad. Check in with your players about the check-in because I need at least 24 hours to like process. And oftentimes like if something bad happens, I need time to like write out my paragraph of like yeah. what I want to say Organize to address thoughts. it. Mm-hmm. Because if you ask me like right after something bad happens, I'm gonna be like, no, I'm good. I'm fine. It's no big deal. And then 24 <laughs> hours later, I'm like, actually here's seven paragraphs about how I felt. Um, and so I, so I didn't mean to cut you off, but just, Mm-mm. just stuff like that where it's like, it's great if you're doing that check-in, but make sure that you have different tactics for different types of check-in for different type of people who might have different types of needs. Yeah, right. ADHD, other or anxiety or particular Whatever. worries around anything. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, you don't even have to have a diagnosis. You can just no. not like talking about stuff. Right. That's yeah. okay too. Sometimes you just need a little bit of time. And that is also a reasonable, totally normal thing. Exactly. Um, the, the last kind of big thing that I wanted to talk about, not to leave it for last because it is a, it's a large topic, but, you know, someone who addresses sex in your video, sex and romance and, you know, kind of that and or excuse me, 
and that was a very like <laughs> dismissive catch-all, no, it's which okay. I didn't You're fine. But I also I wanted to kind of get your perspective as someone who who talks a lot about the subject, who has onlypans.com, uh, uh, and and also is very much in the tabletop role-playing game space. And this is maybe too general of a question, but it strikes me as romance and sex can be really awesome and rewarding at the right tables. And it can also obviously be disastrous at the wrong tables, especially kind of where where society is around those subjects at the moment. Mm-hmm. So do you, as, as a professional, both in tabletop <laughs> and in sex and romance as a topic, have any kind of like, at least start here kind of knowledge to impart perspectives or what have you that might be useful to someone who, who is, who wants to do it well and wants to do it respectfully um, with the consent of their whole table. Oh, I have so many thoughts. I just like galaxy brain to do it. I am again. I realized that it was like a giant question right at the end of a long, beautiful interview. No, it's okay. I think, okay. I think I have a lot of like bullet points. I think the first thing is consent is absolutely mandatory. Um, And it was story for an answer, but I, so I'm demi gray sexual like sex like it's weird because i talk about sex and i educate about sex and i have i do have a like only fans and stuff but for me like sex is this like weird kind of nebulous like i could have sex i could have a pizza doesn't really matter to me <laughs> like i i frankly most of the time I, I rather have the pizza um and so i have a really i think interesting relationship to sex and i think that's one of the reasons why i got so interested in sort of sex as a concept because I was mm-hmm. like, I want to understand it academically if I cannot understand it like emotionally. Right. Um, but so the real question, so, so consent aside, discussions aside, respectful, nuanced, often probably lengthier than you think you need to have yep. conversations <laughs> aside. Um, my question is why? Mm-hmm. Because I think if you look at, media if you look at movies if you look at whatever stories that you're watching there's this really interesting thing that happens where what is what is interesting what is dramatic what is what is uh, generative is the Mm -hmm. lead up is the will they won't they it's the falling in love it's the meet cute it's the romance it's like that part of stuff and that again needs to be consensually done and and i think respectfully done but that's a really interesting story like i think there are a lot of really interesting stories that can be told about people falling in love or struggling to fall in love or unrequited love but i think one of the most interesting things is that like there are, there are, admittedly, there are some very good sex scenes in in media. There mm-hmm. are, <laughs> but kind of universally, unless you get to like sort of like porn itself, there's always a fade to black. There's always yeah. a part where it's like they're clearly having sex, but they're having sex, and like we as the audience are getting the catharsis of like, oh, they finally gotten together. But like. If you think of the re- like, and this is okay, this is where I'm going to get my like academic t- storytelling. This theater is why happening. I asked. So this this but, is the, exactly what I want. As storytellers, if you look at the really great sex scenes, they're not actually about sex at all. Yeah. Uh, I'm a inti- theatrical intimacy person as well, and that means that like I will go into like 
theatrical spaces and be like, hey, here's how to safely stage a sex scene or here's how to safely stage intimacy or whatever. Um, and there's a lot of conversations that we have in those spaces about like, you know, separating character from like actor and like that kind of stuff. Um, but so like, if you look at, at the really great sex scenes, there's usually something else going on. And one that I use a lot when I'm teaching is one of my favorite sex scenes of all time. And it's the sex scene from Shakespeare in Love. And it's where they've finally realized who each other are. And he shows up at her bedroom and they're like rehearsing a Shakespeare play while having sex, which honestly, hashtag life goals. <laughs> um, I, when I say number one, it's fine. But that scene is not actually about sex. Sex is like the secondary action to these two characters finally being like, yes, you, I mm. like you. I found somebody who mm -hmm. I connect with on an emotional and intellectual level. I found somebody who sees me. There's like the reveal of like, oh, Gwyneth Paltrow was definitely a girl the whole time. <laughs> Shakespeare needs glasses. Um, you know, like that kind of thing. But the sex is sort of like the, the, the vehicle, I guess, by like which that yeah. story is mm -hmm. told. But you don't have to have, like, graphic descriptions of, like, you know, P and V sex at your table to still have that. You don't have to have to have that kind of thing if you don't want. Now, if you do want, I think that, like, there are tasteful and nuanced and ungross ways <laughs> of describing, like, intimacy and stuff at the table. Um, but I think that because... There's like, but there's always the moment where they fade to black, you know? Um, and even, you know, people always like in my workshops and stuff, they go, well, what about 50 shades of gray? And I go, no, 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 no. 50 shades of gray is still not about the sex. <laughs> 50 shades of gray, like the sex scenes in 50 shades of gray, especially like the first one where there's like Beyonce and like a weird amount of close-ups of her belly button. It's weird. <laughs> it's weird how that scene is shot. Um, but how that scene is shot is very important. Because a lot of Fifty Shades of Grey is 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 shot from like the female gaze with a Z. Um, and so you get these sort of like, you know, lingering shots of like muscly muscles and stuff. And so that is to connect the female sort of viewer with the couple because this is like a spicy lady movie, right? Um, and then even more than that, like the story that is being told for a shitty, oh my God, I hate Fifty Shades of Grey so goddamn much. <laughs> um, but the story that is being told is again, it's about Christian's desperation for beige paint. I'm sorry, Anastasia. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and then her, like Anna, like giving over to the sort of like quote unquote dark side, which I'm like, I'm a certified sex educator. I mostly talk about kink. Welcome to the dark side. Um, <laughs> but like, but that again, that is a story that is being told like through this vehicle. But the story is about surrender. It is about, you know, like this hunger that you have for this other person or like whatever. None of that has to has really anything to do with sex from like a storytelling perspective. It just yeah. happens to be you can sum it up nicely if they're fucking in that moment. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so I think like as as a storyteller, as a DM, as a player, um, I don't personally like to play at tables with right. a lot of sex or intimacy just because I feel like it's it's hard. It's really difficult to handle classily i guess yeah. like i want to say like totally. i i really don't want to hear about stuff slipping in and out of other stuff like i just <laughs> we, i don't need that on my table um 
but I think that as storytellers, what we can do is, is you break it down. You like, like any part of, of story, you break it down to its component piece and you say, okay, what is actually being told? What is actually being happening? And I think playing out like the excitement or the joy or the connection or the emotional intimacy or the hunger or the desire or whatever, you can do all of that without ever going and then i touch her booby and rant <laughs> not a rant that was phenomenal and and very appreciated and i think well <laughs> well said not that again i'm an expert but kate i think that is all the questions that i have so i think you may have made it to the lightning round portion of Reckless to Talk. Are you ready I'm, for the lightning I'm round? I'm so excited. I purposely <laughs> didn't read any of these questions. I also want you to know that I'm prefacing this with, I've done interviews where I do lightning rounds before, and I want you to know that my, my uh, how I do these is I go immediate answer and then lengthy explanation. So just buckle in. I always, I always tell everyone, long time listeners will know that one word answers, absolutely valid. <laughs> long winded answers, super valid. Yes. Uh, saying, you know, I don't really have a good answer for that. Super valid. I will try my best in these moments to restrain myself from asking follow-up questions. So if you were just like, oh, yep, here it's a purple. And then I will give a respectful pause to see if there's more. <laughs> so that is do this is your space to explore as you so as you will. That's fair. I just got nervous because one time I did a lightning round and they timed me and I was like, oh god. god never. Like, you have 30 seconds per answer. I was like, I'm going to die here. No, so. never ever. It could be 0.5 seconds or it could be 50 minutes. Okay. Okay. And whatever it ends up being, so be it. My body is ready. I'm so excited. Okay. Lightning round question one. Is your glass half full or half empty? Uh half full <laughs> what excites you creatively spiritually or emotionally passion like like not like i mean sexual passion sometimes but um i fervently to my soul believe with all of my heart that <laughs> everybody has a story to tell and everybody yeah. has something to say and there can be people who are seemingly extremely boring or extremely uninteresting. Um, but I can also tell you that one of the most interesting conversations I have ever had in my entire life is with a man who, re who repairs gumball machines for a living. Oh my God. And I, I was like, that's so boring. And then he <laughs> told me about his job and he was passionate and he was excited mm -hmm. and he gives a fuck about gumball machines. And it was one of the most interesting conversations I've ever had. And one of the best pieces of advice that I ever got was, and I don't know who originally said it, but I heard a, a magician named Avner the Eccentric said it to me. Um, but he said, Good don't be name. interesting, be interested. Like, don't worry about being the most interesting person in the room, be the most interested. Um, and that changed my life. That was a piece of advice that I got when I was young mm -hmm. enough to like internalize it yeah. and really like, I'm going to get it tattooed. I keep forgetting to get it done. Um, but that was a piece of advice that literally changed my life. And it's because passion, giving a fuck is exciting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What does not excite you creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? I mean, I guess the counter opposite, which is people who don't care about anything or are just uninterested and just kind of like exist 
I don't mm-hmm. understand. I don't understand. Like Beethoven's ninth exists. How do you, <laughs> how do you not care about anything? How do you not care about anything? But there are a lot of people who just don't care about anything. And it, it makes me itchy. <laughs> what is your favorite sound? Uh, the sound of an orchestra warming up. Good. I love that one. As a, as a former orchestra kid, I'm very pro. What sound do you hate? Um, <laughs> oh, you know what I hate is the, like the, like fire alarm. Like oh, I hate fire mm-hmm. alarms. It's not a very good answer, but that's just no. honest. Uh, I got a visceral reaction from you saying it. So I am, I am with you in this at least. Uh, maybe <laughs> I've just set too many things on fire in my kitchen, but either way. <laughs> What's your favorite word? Hope. What is your least favorite word? Just. Now, I should, I've got a cat. I've got a long-winded answer to this one. I don't Again, mean just as in, as in fair. Mm-hmm. I mean, just as in like, oh, it's so easy. Why don't you mm-hmm. just start a planner and get your life together? Why don't you just do your laundry? Why don't you just do the dishes? Um, just, I think just is one of the most damaging and mm. hurtful and dangerous words that we cavalierly throw around with this idea that like, because it's easy for me, it should be easy for you. Yeah. And if it's not easy for you, it's not because it's difficult or you're struggling or you have, you know, I don't know, developmental difficulty that makes executive functioning nearly impossible it's that you're just lazy or you're just stupid or you just don't care or you're just not invested or you just don't love me enough Mm -hmm. um and i think the word just ruins lives and it ruins relationships and it ruins i think not only relationships with other people but i think it ruins our relationship that we have with ourselves and how we Mm -hmm. navigate the world um because if we could just be better we could just be skinnier or just be whatever all our problems would be solved and i'm like just is i think most one of the most dangerous ideas Mm -hmm. that exists Mm -hmm. i hate the word just it's a good one a good bad one you get what i mean yeah what tabletop role-playing game or D&D monster, villain, etc. have you not faced or run that you would love to? I, I have never fought a dragon in Dungeons and Dragons. I feel like that's weird. I've I, only fought one ever. Like, I feel like there should be more dragons in Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> but for whatever reason, I'm always in like homebrew stuff where there are no dragons. And I just think that's very funny. I would like to just fight. I honestly, it's me. I'd probably befriend a dragon, but that's, that's my answer. What is your favorite adventure of all time? It can be tabletop role-playing game. It could be one you read, one you played, one you wrote. It could be a movie. It could be something, an adventure you have gone on. But what is your favorite? Uh, oh my god, that's an impossible question. Um, I mean, I know, as I soon think as you my, started talking about adventures, I was like, "Ooh, it's going to come yeah. up later." <laughs> I was going to say, I was like, I feel like my favorite adventure movie is absolutely The Mummy. I feel like that's just like I mean, the end end of it. Or, yeah. But also, like, I don't know, Indiana Jones still holds a really special place in my heart, even though it's problematic as fuck. Um, my favorite. 
my favorite adventure is is honestly just because of the emotional connection that I have to it. Um, but there is a, a module for Star Wars Edge of the Empire called the Jewel of Yavin, and it's basically a casino heist set in the Star Wars universe where you're trying I've to heard get that one. Yeah. Um, the when we played it because I've, I've had a long running home game with with some very dear friends of mine we played for like almost six or seven years together um and we loved those characters like we loved those characters um and we accidentally blew up cloud city like entirely <laughs> um and my love of uh, lando calrissian is well known on the internet um and so our our gm thoughtfully included lando in the adventure um and i was so awkward in real life at the idea (laughs) of fictionally interacting with my friend Mm -hmm. nick who was playing lando calrissian um that they still make fun of me uh for it to this day um and then my character died uh and it was very it was the first time i'd ever had we all died actually uh i think i think it was a tpk um but that was the first time that i ever lost a character like in any ttrpg and i was devastated uh and it was like and it was one of those things where like we it was a that was a it was a really fun campaign for a lot of reasons and i I missed that campaign i do need to ask uh, the one one of the few follow-up questions that i allow myself was Nick a good Lando? He like, was a he, he was a pretty good Lando. He was because that's was, a hard vibe to hit. It well, it's good. Well, I, I also didn't pick up on it for like a minute because he tried to like do like a cool like GM thing, um, and he was like, yeah, and he has a cape, and I was like, oh, capes are cool, and then everybody was looking at me, <laughs> and like we had actually we had actually discussed. Well, they had discussed. I didn't know this, uh, but apparently they had toyed with the idea of like paying Billy D. Williams to do like a like a cameo, <laughs> a cameo to like yeah. <laughs> be like hello, Solara, and they didn't do it. They did not do it um, because it was very expensive yeah, um yeah, but the tracks the thought it's the thought that counts <laughs> what is your favorite tabletop role-playing game character of all time and it can be one of yours it can be one of a show you've loved it can be an npc that you played alongside or made up <sighs> brennan lee mulligan <laughs> it's as a valid. person valid <laughs> it's I, truly a character i mean I know that's not a real answer, but I don't know if there's anybody that I respect as much as I, I, I like, I want to be him when I grow up, like Mm -hmm. just the thought and the, and the Mm -hmm. time and the effort that goes into the stories that he crafts. But even more than that, like then he's got like the character voices, which is like, that's a whole secondary skill set. Like that's a whole thing in and of itself. Um, But then also just like the way that he he's really good at highlighting player strengths with, I, I really respect as a DM because it's, you know, sometimes you get somebody at the table who's like less familiar with the rules or whatever, but like every campaign that he has run or has been in, everybody shines. Like there's not a weak link. And I yeah. really think it's because of how much thought and effort and care goes into like crafting those stories. And I just, I really respect that compassion, that like compassion and kindness towards the players. Like I'm not here to like fuck you over. I'm here to make you look good and tell a good story together. Like that's everything I want to be as a, as a gamer. The final lightning round question, Kate, what gives you hope? (sighs) 
Oh, that's a weird question to ask this week. Um, yeah, that's uh, partially is why I ask it in these in these unprecedented times that have been going on. I just want one day years. of precedented times, I like man. Precedent. I know it's a tired joke, nice. but I'm I'm tired I'm tired of it, man. Um, I mean, I think what gives me hope is watching in in very much real time how much gaming spaces have changed even within my lifetime mm-hmm. like i i remember being a little kid and and being made fun of at the gaming store you know i remember being told over and over you know like girls can't play D D. um you know and then feeling just so unwelcome because of like my my disability and, and my my inability to like math and like that kind of stuff um but then kind of like completely sometimes it like what is it stranger things when they go into the upside down like you know everything turns yeah (laughs) like kind of like that feeling of like and now i'm watching like these beautiful conversations about like diversity and inclusivity and it's not just a table full of people who all look the same writing stories and telling stories um i think that is incredible and i think that like outside of like the political sphere i think that that kind of change and that kind of like trend is really powerful because I think it's a microcosm of like what is actually mm-hmm. happening. Like we are really starting to, to hey, say like, hey, let's have really hard conversations about accessibility and inclusivity, not just in TTRPG, but like in society. Let's talk about diversity. Let's talk about inclusivity. And I know that they're not new conversations. And I yeah. and I I think that like I also speak with a lot of privilege because like I I didn't do this on my own. Like I walk in the footsteps of so many people who had it so much yeah. harder than me. Um but I think that every time there is a marginalized voice, every time there is a, a new voice, a new perspective, a different viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Um that is sort of like vulnerably offered to the world. Like, I think that's a new step of set of footsteps to sort of like walk in. Um, And that's what gives me hope is like, I don't necessarily think that I am changing the world by making TikTok videos about ADHD, but maybe I'm setting somebody up to become the next great researcher or the next great, I don't know, politician who's going to fight for different stuff. And I, I think that gives me hope. Well, the last thing that I would say is that you have a large box of mail that would disagree with your uh, uh, impact assessment. <laughs> but I have great news for you. You have ascended to the Reckless Talk Summit. You have gone through my perilous traps of lightning rounds and questions. You have gone through the entire gauntlet and now you have earned another opportunity to tell everybody about where what you do, where they can find you, how to support you, all that great stuff. Hooray. Um, I'm, you're really going to like the end of this where I just speak in vagaries and promises, but I'm really That's, excited. Um, I'm, I'm here so, for it. So I am and will continue to be Katiosaurus. <laughs> uh, you can find me as Katiosaurus on all the social medias. Um, I am particularly right now making a really hard push to ask people if you're interested in the work I do um, to follow me on YouTube. I'm kind of transitioning off of TikTok and moving to YouTube where they pay you. That's cool. <laughs> That's cool. Um, I talk a lot about um, ADHD and kink. I'm also doing more like long form content over there, but it's, it's going to start becoming more of a grab bag. Um, but if you want to follow me on YouTube, that'd be dope. If you want to follow me on TikTok, you can um, just scroll on back through all the 
the backlog. Um, I have a Twitter. I have an Instagram. Um, I also have a podcast. It's called Katie and Eric's Infinite Quest and ADHD Adventure. Um, we're a top 50 mental health podcast. We talk about ADHD and depression and living life as neurodivergent adults. We also occasionally play D&D. Um, <laughs> I am in the midst of my uh, first national tour, which sounds it's so scary, um, <laughs> but I'm doing that. Um, so the, all of that information is available at katiasaurus.com. Um, I also do have the spicy contents. If you want to uh, get some of the spicy, spicy content, um, it's over at mostlypans.com. Um, Most, or you that's can right. just I said go, it wrong earlier. It's, uh, that's all right. It's, or it's onlyfans uh, slash schmadiasaurus because it's definitely not me. It's my twin schmadiasaurus. <laughs> um, and that's all of the stuff that I can tell you about right now. You're going to be a Gen Con. Oh yeah. I'm going to be this a, interview I'm, airs, yeah. which we didn't even talk about. Right. Uh, yeah, no, I am going to be a Gen Con. Um, I'm going to be doing a, 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 a growing list of things that I will be doing at Gen Con. <laughs> um, I'm going to be uh, doing a panel with morning ritual, great group of TTRPG players with a uh, noir Enigma, mm-hmm. who is like, I'm yeah. obsessed I with them. A delightful human. Um, also, I'm going to be doing a Stars of TikTok D and D panel, which I'm really nervous for, uh, and some <laughs> other cool stuff. Uh, I'm also going to be at Dragon Con uh, and a bunch of other uh, things. You can check that out. Um, also, I have a new podcast coming out soon. You'll probably hear about it. That's all I'm going to say. But <laughs> you'll probably hear about it. Uh, and so, yeah. But if you want to follow me. That would be cool, and I would like that. Oh, I also have a Twitch. I'm so good at this part. My manager yes. keeps being like, will you please just memorize something? And I'm like, no, nah, I'll do it live every time. I'll definitely remember each I'll, and every bullet point every time. Don't I'll worry flounder, about it. I'll flounder about in the waters until I settle on something. Um, but mm-hmm. I do have a Twitch. It's twitch.tv slash Um, And I stream uh, pretty, pretty much every other day. Mm-hmm. Uh, also a great stream. And now I think that's all the stuff that I can think of. Well, if there's anything else, we'll slip it in, you know, show notes. We got intros. We got lots of other ways to just kind of back end that in. So cool. let me know if you think of anything else. Kate, thank you so very deeply for all of your time and expertise and energy and all of the good work that you do. It was a wonderful conversation and really deeply appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Thank you yes, so much. Yes, it was wonderful.